Raging Asian. Raging Asian. Asia Hong Hong Nijin. Sunye de Yajo. Nagang Alit Asano. Asia Yukro. Mangamuk Asia. Arekuru Asia Jin. Songan Asia. Raging Asian. Ugra Asia Li. No Cho A. Bunki Ilum Asia. Kuro Echia. Hi there, I'm Chloe Wong Mercero, and this is episode one of Raging Asian. Today's episode is called Becoming Your Mother, and our very first guest on this podcast is extra special. Not only is she a renowned Chinese-Canadian artist and a beloved professor of fine arts at Concordia University, she is also a mother of two to yours truly. Me. Mary Soyu Wong is a multidisciplinary artist who immigrated to Canada from Hong Kong in 1963. She's exhibited in numerous solo and group exhibitions in Canada and internationally, in Europe, Asia, and the USA. Soyu's artwork draws from personal memory, history, and legacy to explore identity formation and alterity as a social construct. Welcome, Mom, to the Raging Asian podcast. Cool.、Uh, I guess it's、uh, great to be here. I'm not sure. It depends on what you're going to put me through. Well, this week's episode is called Becoming Your Mother. In terms of how I really just am so afraid of becoming my mother, you mean? Or、I、my worst nightmare? All of us, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started, let's start with a little、uh, background context. Of your immigration story. That's basically the Asian equivalent of a creation story.、Mm. There's so much to that story.、Um, you, you know, you read in my bio that I came、mm-hmm. here in, to Canada in 1963.、Uh, it was actually three years after my dad had already immigrated to Canada.、Um, and I was only seven years old back in Hong Kong. And maybe one of the more interesting stories in this context is to just、uh, recall how proud my mom was、um, that she did what she needed to do to kind of get us into this country.、Um, like I said, because my dad had already come to Canada and he had been here since 1960.、Uh, my mom was left in Hong Kong with the three of us kids. I was seven, my brother was five, and then there was a Four year old sister. And, you know, after three years of waiting to hear from my dad whether or not we were going to actually come to Canada to join him, she was starting to kind of freak out a little bit because there w a s always a lot of stories, especially back in those days, where generations of immigrant men would just pick up another wife, you know,、uh, when、right. they were in North America and then they would leave their own families, you know, in the old country behind. Mm-hmm. And I remember、uh, my mom telling me how she wasn't going to let any of that kind of stuff go down <laughs> without a fight.、Mm-hmm. Um, so、uh, she took the three kids to the immigration office and made an appointment to ask on the Hong Kong side. I mean, in those days, usually the person who's living in the country that you want to immigrate to. Files an application and then it gets approved, and then it has to go to the country where you're leaving and have the application approved on that end. But my mom did exactly the opposite. She was like, not waiting for my dad to put in the application. 
She took us to the immigration office and she said to the immigration officer, listen, my husband's probably gonna get, you know, a second wife and he's gonna leave me and my kids behind and I am not gonna let that happen. So <laughs> either you rubber stamp us to go to Canada or I'm gonna leave these kids here with you. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, you know, that was my mom and yeah. that's how I always remember. Uh, you the know, ultimate your papa. tiger mom. That's right. She yeah. wasn't going <laughs> to let her husband get away with anything. Yeah. And I mean, she's always been feisty, Popo. Mm. You know, she she was someone who kind of fought her own way ever since she was little because mm. she decided when her dad remarried and took on a second wife, she didn't want to have a stepmother. She was about 14 years old in mainland China in Guangzhou. Oh, and uh, she thought, well, I'm not going to put up with this. And she snuck out of China and went to Hong mm-hmm. Kong by herself right. without telling her father or telling anybody. Yeah. But she That's... knew that she had an aunt in Hong Kong who loved mm-hmm. her a lot and would give her a place to stay. So she snuck out of China on her own <laughs> at 14. Yeah, and I remember that with... story. And it was like right on the eve or something of the the communist revolution so she something. actually managed to like leave china and yeah. make it to hong kong before the revolution exactly very close to it i mean she yeah. was like she was really lucky and you know at 14 she um yeah she went and worked in a cigarette factory so she could make her own spending money <laughs> and uh, i think she managed to even finish high school in hong kong mm. so yeah that's your papa feisty <laughs> yeah you know, very independent. And mm. I think that that's something that I really admired. And I'm really grateful to inherit that mm-hmm. kind of like determination, self-determination and yeah. self-will. Yeah. So you guys immigrated to Vancouver initially. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Um, so you mentioned you, you were three siblings, but then upon arriving in Vancouver, uh, you your mother had another child, David, yeah. Yeah. Uncle David, and uh, but you were the eldest, so you're the oldest sibling of all of them. How was that yeah. experience? Oh, um, Gong Gong was someone who grew up without a dad. Mm-hmm. Papa was someone who grew up without a mom in a way. Her mom died when she was 14. My dad's mom, uh, dad, my, da- my dad's father died when he was, uh, I think like, maybe five or six wow. so neither one of them had a full kind of like full-on parenting, parenting yeah, yeah unit yeah. Uh, as models but at the same time they were also both very old school especially Gogo, uh, who really believed that their job as parents were to go out and earn the money and make mm-hmm. a living especially as immigrant parents and as the oldest child it was my job to raise the family Mm-hmm. the kids mm-hmm. take care of the children and mm-hmm. kind of keep the house clean and while they know, worked the meals while they worked yeah. yeah and i you know distinctly remember um you know the early years you know really sort of enjoying my childhood until one day my younger brother david came into you know the world <laughs> i was 10 years old mm-hmm. my mom and dad had this new baby now we were four kids and my dad took me by the hand while I was watching TV one night and walked me into the kitchen. He goes, okay, today you stop being a kid and you start taking on responsibilities. And I had to learn how to wash the rice and cook rice. Mm. And then it was like, 
right. after that chores after chores after chores diapers all the yeah, yeah oh my god bathtub full of diapers that i had to wash <laughs> after dinner every night oh no for your uncle david right because there are no disposable diapers <laughs> he owes me man <laughs> yeah. he owes me big Thank time so when you're asking me about what it was like to be an older child there was a lot of pressure mm. there was a lot of stress uh, uh, to kind of support my mom and dad mm-hmm. another story that sort of like marks that kind of experience was I remember you know going to school and doing my best and everything uh, but there was one year I guess my parents were making money uh, and needing to fill out an income tax forms. Mm-hmm. And my dad expected me to know how to do it. Oh my God. But I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> and I got reamed oh and boy. whipped because I didn't, couldn't help him. He says, What are they teaching you at school? Why don't you know how to fill these income uh, tax I was The you know, one useful thing learning right. to do your income tax, which they never teach you in school. At 10. But, yeah, what 10 year old knows how to do their taxes, though? Well, no, 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 no 10 year old. Oh, yeah. Well, and you've mentioned, yes, of course, it's interesting. You've um, said, like, I've often heard you say that you had to parent your parents as well. Um, What what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, so like I said, both of them didn't have parents. Uh, when you know mm-hmm. sort of maybe as models but when I say I had to parent them I had to kind of take on a lot of um, the day-to-day stresses uh, mm-hmm. as well as you know the ones that they were experiencing um, did you have to like act as also their like translator or absolutely uh, that's like the typical image I have in my mind of like an immigrant child who usually has to like translate or like yeah. broker between the parents yeah. immigrant parents and like like when my mom had a stroke or... and she had to go to the doctors and then or no it wasn't even a stroke she was going she had had some issues uh, with her menstruation and I had to go with her to to the doctors and translate but okay. I didn't know barely what what the words were yeah uh that were you know i needed to put from Mm -hmm. english into chinese so that my mom knew what she was because she had a low iron she was suffering from i guess anemia due to her heavy you know uh, menstrual blood flow um things like that moments like that where you know i was like ew barely even having yeah you know knew anything about right. menstruation never mind you probably didn't have your trans, period like, yet you know so yeah, you didn't know yeah. or always kind of having to mediate conversations like if a teacher had to say something about my siblings and have to translate mm-hmm. that for my dad yeah translation was a big thing but the parenting part was also um because i was left to kind of like take care of my brothers and sisters they often just left the um what's it called the the responsibility for me to decide what was right and what was wrong for my siblings and sometimes I kind of had to just say to my mom and dad that like you're the father here like for example Mm. one time I'd already moved out of the house by then I came home and 
uncle had found a bunch of Playboy magazines under Uncle David's oh, bed. No. <laughs> but he was too embarrassed to talk to David about oh, it. Okay. He, he was the dad, okay. and he. Mm-hmm. I came home, and the first thing he did was pull out all these Playboy magazines, and he said, look, I found these under your brother's bed. What are you going to do about it? Oh, and I said, well, like, I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. I think it's your job. You have to talk to him yeah. about it. Okay. And I had to kind of like teach my dad how to do it like be a dad um and then (laughs) another kind of thing that i felt i had to do was always mediate between them because gungung and Paul were under a lot of stress and they fought a lot for Mm. years they were like Mm -hmm. so Papa always used me like her girlfriend and she mm. would just, you know, every time, you know, right. she had a chance, she would rant and rave in my ear about Gong Gong and how she was unhappy with what he was doing, this or that. And and I would have to kind of be the mediator right. for their fights. And there would be mm-hmm. times when I got so angry. The unpaid therapist couple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I was a therapist. I think I was a ping pong ball. Uh-huh who had messages inside of me okay. that I had to deliver back right. and forth. Back and forth. Yeah. yeah. I could I don't think I knew enough to be a therapist, mm. but so parenting in the sense mm. of um I think it only came years later when I realized all of the stresses that I was experiencing and how I carried the weight of everybody else's right. happiness on my shoulder mm. that I had to go and tell Gongong and Popo that maybe if they had marital problems they should take care of them and get a divorce. Oh my god. <laughs> I remember telling Popo that one time. Oh uh, yeah. Why are you still with him if you're so unhappy? Because I was getting tired of hearing her right. woes. You should just get a divorce. And she goes, No, I'm not like that unhappy. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to tell. But Google and Popo it was a love marriage as opposed to right. Um, right. an arranged marriage or, or a match. So it took leaving Vancouver to come to Montreal to finally kind of put that distance between having to parent your parents like you you made that choice to come to Montreal and Mm -hmm. and break that uh, yeah but it's interesting you know Marie um, I don't think I ever stopped parenting my parents Mm -hmm. even after I discovered that I should not it was not my place or even my role or mm-hmm. I wasn't even very really necessarily capable but it was a role that Gungung and Popo took on they expected me to help them mm-hmm. and maybe they didn't call it parenting and that's sort of like a western terminology but it felt like parenting to mm-hmm. me because there was a lot of things that I kind of had to learn how to be a mother for my siblings and then learn how to be a mother for my parents mm-hmm. and so that in a way, it was only for self-interest because I needed nurturing from my parents mm-hmm. and I wasn't getting it. So I wanted parents who could parent me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so what I guess I'm getting at is that it never really stopped. But it got, uh, I was able to understand it more when I left mm-hmm. and I was able to kind of um, take on the role differently. Right. So makes yeah, sense. Yeah. It's not as if, you know, your Gong Gong and Popo didn't know how to parent me. I mean, of course, they were parents in the way, best ways that they know how. For example, like Gong Gong, you know, lived by these kind of Confucius, you know, like uh, teachings mm-hmm. of how to be a good father. Right. And Popo, you know, lived by certain kind of 
uh, understandings of what a good mother was, you know, and a lot of that had more to do with um, providing us with a safe home mm -hmm. and security, financial security and good food on the table and clothes on our back and opening the door to opportunities. That's mm -hmm. why, you know, they came to Canada as opposed to staying in Hong Kong because the idea mm -hmm. of having four kids in Hong Kong on a musician's salary, which Gung Gung was, and mm -hmm. at the time, I think, you know, Papo was only working in factories wasn't going to be able to put four kids through school because in Hong Kong, everything, mm, yeah. any kind of good education had to be private system. Right. And that meant tons and tons of money. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, Gogo and Popo were doing what they understood as being good parents. Um, but ironically, you know, having kind of come to North America and being raised in the Western paradigm, in a way, my expectations of parenting or my understanding of parenting also combined emotional mm -hmm. connection. Right. Well, it was different from yeah. what your parents, like traditional yeah. understanding of what yeah. good parents are yeah. to, um, yeah, the kind of American Western conception of good parents. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I think that that's one of the things mm -hmm. that I guess I'm talking about when I'm t parenting my parents. Mm -hmm. I was the primary emotional support for both my mom right. and dad yeah you know because i didn't go up and make money i didn't do all that kind of other mm -hmm. stuff but i held their hand when they went through difficult times right. you know i held my siblings hands you know it was so though that that's the kind of parenting i mm -hmm. think i'm thinking about you know yeah. just in reflecting right now it's the like, emotional rock yeah of the family. yeah yeah because yeah. i was like basically a rock but you know, someplace where everybody kind of like threw all their Dumped emotions, all their emotions. Um, so that they could just let that, that go and then go out into the mm -hmm. world. Um, and in a way, because, you, you know, this program is called Raging Asian. And I think that kind of like is a systemic situation when you think about a lot of people of color, especially immigrants of color who live a certain life where they kind of have to go out into the world and face all of the discrimination and all the trauma and atrocities and the uh, kind of alienations on a day-to-day -day basis, but they still have to put on a really brave face and show their, mm -hmm. the best of themselves. And they don't get right. to kind of express or vent or whatever, yeah. and they go home and that's, you know, and if they do express it, mm -hmm. uh, like within the black community, why black women are called, you know, uh, raging or whatever angry angry black women um, it's it's categorized as rage but it's pent up frustration it's pent up mm -hmm. you know um, anger and and uh, I think that is one of those kinds of very difficult things um, when we think about uh, different communities and I can use uh, Western thinking to appreciate and understand it but I know that in even like Confucius you know teachings <laughs> Philosophy. yeah Philosophy. Um, Confucius you, yeah you're really supposed to even take the worst right. things and you know like breathe yeah. into it and try and be zen no matter how <laughs> yeah. many times you're gonna get punched in calm. the gut yeah. yeah I mean I've seen you go through um the experience of taking care of your mom and dad when they were aging mm. um, and when they had to be either hospitalized or moved um, mm -hmm. to their uh, condo instead of their the family home 
and so maybe that also those the ideas of parenting heighten or compound maybe some of the emotions too or the tension at times when caring for your aging parents um and yeah they're conflicting yeah well see when you when you ask when you reflect on it like that the first thing i think about is there's a couple of things okay so when you're an immigrant child you're raised to honestly from the day one as soon as we arrived in north america my dad would say to me like you know because he he was just reconnecting with us and so after three years of being apart you know i guess he was trying to in press upon us the kind of kids or children he would want as a father okay. knowing the kind of children that were being raised in north america and he would say things to us like you know so many of the kids here you know as soon as their parents get old like north americans or white people as soon as their kids get old enough you know they send as uh, soon as their the parents get old mm. they send them off to old folks home you better never do that to me right um so yeah. I grew up with the understanding or the thought in my mind that my parents always expected me to take care of them no matter what. Mm-hmm. But when they got old, I, they would have to live with me and I would have to, yeah. you know, take care of them till they die. Yeah. And in general, you know, 90% of, uh, po- you know, immigrant populations, that's how they tend to their elders, right? But weirdly, like when... Gogo and Popo got started getting older. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say when Gogo was, you know, in his 80s and 90s. The, one of the first things they said to us then was like, not only don't we need you to take care of us, we don't want to live with you. We don't want to <laughs> have to deal with you guys right. and your children. We love seeing our grandchildren right. and we do want to take care of and, you know, spend time with them. Yeah. But we don't want to be permanent babysitters. Like, yeah. you know, in the old country, that's yeah. what elders would do right, you know yeah. they, they would the work kids, all their so. life give you know their children everything their children get married and then they're raising another family because right. they're raising the yeah. grandchildren because they're you know yeah. built in babysitters pick up or what so yeah. Gongo and Pablo was like no way I remember being so <laughs> upset by that because like even when I was giving birth to you and I already had Emmy I said to Popo, well you know I'll pay your airfare can you come to Montreal and just give me some support for a month, right? And she says, no, no. (laughs) She says, you know, you can bring the baby to me and I'll play with it. I'll play with it. (laughs) But I'm not coming because I'm too whatever. I like. She felt she was not interested. interested. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the funny thing about, like, going back to you saying, like, you had to parent your parents or, like, you had to teach your parents how to be parents. Like, they... They didn't really almost, they were not interested in being parents. Maybe you know? never. Maybe never. I mean, in a way, Popo was happy not really being a parent and <laughs> letting me do all the housework right. and, you know, letting me cook the meals and mm-hmm. take care of her kids. She loved going to work herself to make money. Right. It was yeah. her. And that was the other thing, you know, Popo was like unique in that sense that she, she, enjoyed her life and when she wasn't working mm-hmm. on the weekends she would go out and play mahjong right <laughs> so she had a great life as a mom because it wasn't you know i'm a stress the only right. time when she was stressed was when she wasn't making enough money to help support the family mm-hmm. so in a way i always said papa wore the pants in the family mm. you know um Gong Gong mm-hmm. was making money but you know not not as consistent as papa was mm. But so getting back to like how how was I dealing with you know the aging parents right. so that when they did get 
you know, to a point where they were older. And because I was living in Montreal, by the time Gongo, you know, was in his 70s, and, you know, there was always the expectation that I wanted, well, from me personally, to make sure that you guys had a connection with them, your grandparents, that you knew you had Chinese grandparents since you were, you know, biracial. So going home every summer to Vancouver and spending time mm-hmm. with your grandparents was important. But whenever I went home, even though I had moved away 5,000 miles and you know I'd been away for quite a number of years, the role of being the eldest daughter was always still imposed on me. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that was always enormously stressful. Yeah. I, still I remember to... we would go back and then we would clean their house or something like that, you yeah. know, would fly. 8,000 kilometers across the country just to clean up Gungung and Popo's house. Yeah. <laughs> Empty all the plastic bags from their dishwasher. It's like their annual <laughs> spring cleaning was once yeah. a year when I arrived. And yeah. then similarly, same thing. So as soon as, you know, I arrived, it was the annual family gathering. Everybody would get together. Mm-hmm. And it just went on and on from there. Right, yeah. Um, mm. How this got to do with me raging is that where we're going with this conversation it's not it's about aging aging yeah aging and becoming your mother (laughs) well so yeah aging is an interesting thing um watching papa age Mm -hmm. and seeing how she went through these various stages like i was saying earlier in in conversation that you know she was really an independent woman good thinker, free will, and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And how work defined her, mm-hmm. unlike a lot yeah. of women. Well, like you're a workaholic <laughs> now. Yeah. You love oh, okay. your work Let's too. not go there. Okay. Um, but so when Popo had to retire finally, and she couldn't, like, because, she, you know, of whatever age and also just uh, uh, retirement, she, when she reached her retirement age and she didn't need to work anymore, it was really actually hard for her. She kind of felt like she lost her identity. Mm. She went through a period where she kind of became afraid of doing things because she, she would just spend hours on hours watching TV um, mm. and not going to any, not, not participating in any mm-hmm. activities and getting very withdrawn. And I remember mm. that when she turned 65 was the year that Audrey was. Um, no, it was when Auntie Sherry got married. And no, yeah, it was when Audrey was born. And same thing, Auntie Sherry said, can you come down and help me out and spend some time with me? And she flew Popo down from Vancouver to okay. San Francisco. And Popo spent, like, I think two or three weeks there. Wow. It really upset her. She okay. suddenly kind of lost sight of what she mm-hmm. was, because she was stuck in this house and she didn't have her own friends. She didn't have a community. She didn't have a community. Yeah. She didn't have a purpose anymore. And she was just trying to cook for Auntie Sherry and clean mm-hmm. and do these kind of mundane housewife things right. that she Which never, she never was, wanted to do. Never familiar with and yeah. was actually, and she it made it. her yeah. feel really old. Like, And she mm-hmm. came back and she suddenly aged. Okay. Like she just... Like wow. she appeared older, she, you know, and so that was really a, a odd and hard yeah. to watch, mm. right? Um, mm. 
Mm. Gogo took to retirement differently because, right. you know, in fact, when he retired was actually when his career started. Once right. he stopped working, yeah. you know, he, did he start to get recognized as a musician, musician and he started to community. be able to perform and carry his art. Daughter number one is here. I'm on the clock. I only have so many hours. Okay. I'm literally working, guys. Like, okay, I okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Raging Asian number two. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because even though I, I've always known that Popo was a very independent, very fierce lady, and that always came through, uh, but most of my memories spent with Popo are, you know, sitting on the couch in the condo watching Chinese soap operas or Korean soap operas, uh, mm-hmm. and I never understood, but we would just sit there and watch it for like... Mm-hmm hours and hours of the day mm-hmm. <laughs> with her little peanuts next to her her couch and mm-hmm. her her fold-out armchair right and she has copious amounts of like soap operas she had a monthly subscription to a video <laughs> store where she would go once a week to pick up her 50 episode kind of like oh segments of different shows yeah. and you remember the boxes and boxes oh, of yeah. videos that she had that we had to figure out what to do with when we mm. packed up her house. Wow. It's kind of scary because, yeah, I've, I've definitely become that crazy <laughs> binge-watching television person that right. I said I would never let myself do what <laughs> yeah. my mom did. Yeah. Because I always felt so sad for her that she spent so much mm-hmm. of her life just, right. like, In watching front of the TV. TV. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I remember one time when Auntie Sherry was complaining to me about how she thought Popo was not a good mom. Mm-hmm. And that she just, you know, because whenever Auntie Sherry felt like she was going to Popo for emotional support or advice or something that was going on in her life, and she just would never feel that she could get that from Popo. Mm-hmm. And I mean, by then, you know, I was much more older and let's say more uh, (laughs) self-aware but also you know aware of some of the kind of things that contributed to the way that my mom was behaving and I said to to Sherry you know she never learned how to be a mom Mm -hmm. but and maybe she never really was allowed or encouraged to express her emotions because also Gong Gong was not really encouraged because they didn't have that as models but she learned to allow herself to feel things by watching these dumb soap operas. <laughs> yeah, which filled you, with emotion. Yeah, yeah. Dramatic, and, yeah. And, and I said to Sherry, you know, and additionally, you know, maybe her parenting skills aren't great because she learned how to parent through TV. TV, yeah. <laughs> and she did. I mean, you know, in a way, it's kind of awful to say, but, um, you know, she only knows how to say the pat mm. things and you know, offer us a very kind of like standard stereotypical mm. kind of maternal support. Mm-hmm. Um, but Papa didn't like, yeah. you know, couldn't handle mm. um, the expectations. And sometimes I always felt that she looked to me and resented me as well because I was forced, first of all, to help raise her kids. And when her kids were having troubles, she, you know, had to turn to me to f- help her figure mm-hmm. out what she it was know. that she, you know, yeah. needed to do. Like, mm-hmm. and that was hard. Mm-hmm. But in some ways, the the soap operas too might have been like an escape as well. 
Absolutely. Sure. But see, now, you know, so I was very judgmental, I guess, when Popo was, you know, mm-hmm. like alive. And I felt, you know, like all this idea of me parenting them because mm-hmm. I wanted her to be more active and all this and right. get up and go and do things. But I recognize that in the same way that I put so much time and energy into working now as an older person myself, as a mother of two children and so on and so forth, and having gone through all kinds of uh, difficult challenges in life. Um, well, so there are a couple of things. I look to, you know, TV as escapism to kind of <laughs> like find place to locate my... Uh, or release tension. Uh, Entertainment. Yeah. yeah. So this is why I used to love wa- um, watching things like um, what's his name, the chef, Gordon, Gordon Ramsay, swearing and yelling, "Fuck this, you shithead!" <laughs> stuff, saying stuff like that to other people, right. oh which gave me so much pleasure because yeah. it made me f- like I wish I could say things like that to people, but I can't. <laughs> so I couldn't rage, but I could do it through TV. Right. Like, so, here was this white guy yelling at a bunch of useless people. chefs. <laughs> Things that I would want to say all the time mm-hmm. to people around me. So that's, there's that one kind of escapism. But the other thing was that I understand why Papa was watching a lot of Chinese TV and or TV that was emotional because it gave her kind of an outlet. But for mm-hmm. me, it's actually a difference slightly because, I mean, I'm living in a, you know, a predominantly Western environment. Mm-hmm. I have a mixed family, a husband who's white. I don't have a lot of Chinese friends close to me. I'm not, you know, always in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. And I have to watch Asian soap operas. Right, to get your Asian dose. <laughs> to just make me feel like I'm connected to something larger than what is around me because right. there's always a part of me that's not being kind of acknowledged visually as well as culturally, you know. So I watch Mm -hmm. my TV, my crazy TV for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if they can hear the the Cantonese speakers next next door. (laughs) Yeah, and that's why having this studio was one of the best finds ever, just being able to sit in a quiet studio but still hear, like, the garment factory workers next door yelling and screaming at each other in Chinese (laughs) makes me feel so at home. It's really strangely um, Mm. comforting. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and their sounds are coming through the walls right now. (laughs) That's so funny. So now let's let's talk about how you hate um, the way Amelia, my older sister, and I mother you now. Oh my God. Well, that's also the dilemma of becoming older when your children start to treat you like you're a child. I will admit, I love to bother my mom and just in the morning go into her room. Oh, mommy, mommy, morning, Josan, Josan. And rest me out of my sleep. She hates it. Treat me like I'm a little toy. Um, yeah, I don't know what that's about. (laughs) Uh, well, I wouldn't say that I absolutely hate you guys mothering me, but it's all part of aging. I mean, nobody wants to feel like they're Mm -hmm. getting old. And I think, you know, like, same thing I said to you 
Emmy the other day when we were driving around, I said, don't ever buy me a walker. Okay? <laughs> what if you need one? Push- so you know what? I said exactly the same thing that my mom said to me when okay. she was like at the point yeah. where when she was 80 and I kept saying to her, well, shouldn't we get you one of those kind of like shopping buggies so yeah. that you can carry your groceries and you don't fall down? And she says, don't you dare buy me one of those. I'll never use it. Oh or God. a cane. Yeah. I'm never going to oh, use a yeah. cane. It's like, like I do not need <laughs> to be true. reminded of the fact that mm-hmm. I'm getting yeah. old and I'm not getting around. That's true. When she I think I, of Gong Gong, like... And his cane, half the time he used it to like hit people, hit people yeah. and hold the door open or bang yeah, this yeah. and bang that. Well, and that's the other kind of, you know, thing that you've inherited because, you know, you have two grandparents who on both sides, your maternal and your paternal, who are, are people who refuse to accept that they're aging. Look at your grandmother on your father's side who, <laughs> you know, is 90 something years old and still lives in the country by herself. Mm-hmm. and pretends that she can, you know, haul, like, you know, <laughs> buckets of w- wood by herself when she really can't. And same yeah. thing, Gong Gong jumping over parking meters when he was what? in his 60s. Oh, my God. To walk down the street and pretend that he was, like, only or, 20 years well, old. Well, doing 100 push-ups every morning till he was, like, 90 years old. and Yeah, but that makes the children go crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that but that's maybe kind that's of why you guys are mothering. Yeah. You guys are just trying to remind mm-hmm. me that I am old, getting older <laughs> and I have to be more careful. And that's the part I hate. It's right. not that I Well, no hate one being likes careful. to be reminded that they're getting older. And it's the whole independence thing, too. Like, you, people hate, uh, well, when you have been very independent all of your life, like Gong and Papa and, and Papa, uh, especially being so independent. And, and finding herself, you know, through work and, like, having a sense of e- economic uh, independence to suddenly have to retire and then stay yeah. at home or, like, suddenly someone else taking care of you. Like, no way that, yeah, it's it's so hard to to. Well, Gong Gong really kind of put it clearly once because he was, like, saying, you know, it's not that I don't accept getting old. Um, it's just that I, I, I demand that I be treated with integrity. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's more important than anything. You know, you right. can't take my right to decide for myself. But ironically, you know, when you've got parents that are getting old, you know that often they're making decisions that aren't the best for themselves right. and that you have to start intervene and step in. And for me, I feel like, okay, I'll try my best not to be like my parents. I'll try really hard not to... <laughs> turn into my mom who watches too much TV or <laughs> become overly ambitious and, and, and not acknowledging my age like my dad. But ultimately, I've become exactly the things that I fear I would become because the more <laughs> that you worry about becoming something, the more you're actually focusing on it. So, mm-hmm. um, And those are I, your models. Those are your yeah. models for aging. and yeah. But I still have... Uh, like I haven't sat down and made a list, but I still want to make a list of the things that I don't want to put my children through when I get <laughs> old because of what I had to do. Right. Maybe my parents didn't do it consciously, but you know, for example, if it came to a time where I was debilitating, debilitated, and I needed support in the house to help me get around or 
you know, I wouldn't refuse help because Gongo okay. and Popo right. always refused help. Right. And they would be for fear of intruders, mm-hmm. for fear of like, okay, because they didn't also have language skills. They couldn't right. speak English and they can't have somebody coming into the house or for fear of being robbed. Gongo right. kept all his money in his house, in yeah. his bed. <laughs> So he couldn't let a housekeeper come. Right. And and so those yeah. are the kind of things. But number I mean, two on the list, don't hoard your plastic bags in your dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, don't hoard plastic bags and what else they would do. I don't know. They would oh all the coffee jars. Because they drank instant coffee. Instant coffee, yeah. And when we cleaned up their apartment, there were like hundreds of co- empty coffee jars in the cupboards. Oh, no. Because they were glass and, you know, they didn't want to throw they those out. Yeah. You, you some, can't throw anything away. You have, everything can be reused. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why you brought that up. Just took me to no, on list. your list, oh, um, right? Because Don't we're making your list of of what not to, what not, to what do. not, or what not to do as you age, or uh, like, oh uh, yeah, what, what you don't want to like, how you don't want to be your parents, like yeah. that. that. <laughs> well, I remember also like like the sense of dignity that you lose like my parents felt I mean maybe Popo didn't feel that way because I was able to you know take care of her she wasn't so proud you know she would let us take care of her but mm-hmm. Gong Gong was definitely had enormous pride because yeah. he always you know spent all his life trying to prove to us that he was like a superhuman being superhero <laughs> right doing push-ups at 95 yeah, yeah. so of course, he's not going to want that image of himself destroyed. Right. Similarly, yeah. like when the more and more sick he got, Papa wouldn't let any of his friends come and visit him at mm. the hospital because she didn't want them to see him okay. yeah. frail and yeah, because that's not what he would have wanted either. Yeah, yeah. and no photos of him being taken mm. by friends because right. I remember one time somebody came over and visited him and they took a f- photograph. Oh. Of Gong Gong in okay. hospital, she freaked out and oh. she was ranting and raving and calling around everybody. Wow. Said, "You better find that man and tell him to delete that picture. Is how disrespectful." Huh. But I understand yeah. it because right that you're at your most vulnerable and you're yeah. you're not yeah. yeah. He was at his most. But vulnerable. there's also the other part of being like a person of color, like being Chinese, even though in Vancouver. You know, there was a lot more uh, accommodation and facilities to take care of Asians and Mm -hmm. non-English speaking seniors as immigrants. There was always a fear. There's always going to be a fear that all the services that you're wanting to have that other normal people would just expect, they it still had to be mediated. There has to be right. a translator. There mm-hmm. has to be, you know, like even talking to a doctor or talking to a nurse. Right. Or, right. You don't so, always have a Chinese doctor or a Chinese yeah. nurse. Or... They couldn't trust anything, mm. you know, 100%. Mm-hmm. And even when it was getting translated by a translator professionally, they still kind of just hard time. didn't yeah. trust things. So yeah, it's hard, yeah. that made trying to age gracefully, like that phrase, mm-hmm. aging gracefully, right. really difficult. And yeah. I always said to myself, okay, after seeing all of that, I'm going to age gracefully. <laughs> but I can't. It's hard. It's like, is no, there such a thing as aging gracefully? There is, but 
it comes with privilege. Okay? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I say that in terms of economic privilege, racial, mm-hmm. you know, cultural. I'm living yeah. in Montreal where, like, just the other day, well, a week ago only, mm-hmm. I'm in the hospital in emergency right. by myself, 65 years old, and I can barely understand what the freaking nurse is saying as my mm-hmm. head is bleeding because mm-hmm. I'm not fully bilingual. Right, yeah. So I felt the fear that my parents were feeling mm-hmm. when they were, you know. Yeah. Alone and unable to understand the language. And uh, especially because like two weeks ago, uh, because of the pandemic, the COVID, we couldn't be with you in, in the waiting room. So you had to be there all alone. and. Um, yeah, I mean, Dad and I were also worried, you know, um, or, or, or worried that we couldn't offer you support or just some um, uh, translation, yes, but also just, like, to help you, um, like, not not worry and, and yeah. just, yeah, take it easy. Mm. So, you know, what happened last night, I was going to sleep and I, you know, like the stitches are out, I've washed my Mm -hmm. scar and whatever, and I was about to fall asleep and then I felt all this sudden insecurity come over me. Mm. And uh, I know that, you know, it doesn't matter what you and your dad and how everybody wants to kind of like do everything that you can to make me feel safe. Mm -hmm. And that's where your mothering comes in sometimes. It's, right. like, annoying. Yeah. It makes me feel, like, it, you know, um, incompetent mm-hmm. or, you know, like, I don't want to feel like I'm old already. But at the same time, I also felt like you're never going to really understand what it feels like to be in my shoes because you've never mm-hmm. had to live that tension. Right. So I woke up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and I just yelled out, I'm going to hire somebody to take care of me when I get old because no one else around me can. Oh, no. Daddy was asleep. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. But I realized I thing, don't want to yeah. be like mommy and my, my mom who mm-hmm. just sat in her apartment and cried herself to sleep every night when she in her last years after Gong Gong had died because she, was, she wasn't, you know... She felt misunderstood. There was no one yeah. who could understand what she was going through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even like her children, like, you know, it, you feeling like I can't understand you and your experience. She also must have felt like maybe you guys couldn't understand what she was going through. No, the hardships right? because, yeah. you know, she had two sons that were living around her and all they thought she needed to do was like, if they fed her good food, like, the way that she mothered them, talking about, you know, mm-hmm. becoming your mother, was the way that they kind of, like, parented, like, or took her, care of her. Right. Because all she did when she wasn't mothering her children was to give them money and feed them well. Right. And, you know, just, like, yeah. be there and spend time that way, but not necessarily check in and talk to her about right. what was on her mind or stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, of course, Uncle Wayne and Uncle David did their due diligence as, you know, children. Mm-hmm. Um, every week, you know, to take Popo out, you know, to a restaurant and have something mm-hmm. that she likes to eat and maybe, like, have them sit and watch, you know, the grandkids <laughs> playing, but right. they never actually talked to her. Right. And, and she was incredibly lonely. She, yeah, she, she had was lost emotionally that. lonely. Yeah. 
she she you know so she just took those conversations that she might have you know to the tv Mm -hmm. but oddly i guess and also ironically when i was spending time and because i also had language skills and i could talk to her Mm -hmm. it was disturbing and upsetting for her to talk about stuff she didn't want to revisit those emotions Mm -hmm. so she would still then turn around and go dive back into her tv Mm -hmm. you know it was like sometimes too much of the opposite extreme you know having no support and then having too much support because after you know whatever like 80 years of not talking about your feelings it's hard to suddenly start talking about it. And Where do you begin? Even if she did, you know, trust me to talk to me about stuff, I'm only there for like a week or two and then I'm gone again. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's one right. of the things that I feel bad about that I couldn't sustain or I didn't sustain a continuing emotional support for my mom. But I was not able to mm-hmm. do that because I needed to. Mm-hmm. You have to support yourself and emotionally, yeah. Yeah, thinking about what does it mean, you know, to age gracefully or the fear of becoming like your mother or your father. <laughs> um, I almost feel like it's inevitable that there are things, aspects of our family and our parenting that will pass on, but. Um, I really wholeheartedly believe that we have agency mm-hmm. and we have con- we have control and we can change our own destiny. Um, but the most important thing is to be kind and accepting, not only of the mistakes of our parents, mm-hmm. but our own mistakes yeah. that we might make and not mm-hmm. to feel that... Not to feel guilt or... or um, shame or anything like that. Yeah. 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 Let's say, like, just going back to your example of, like, watching TV or watching soap operas, you know, like, just hearing you reflect on it, you can understand that, like, for you, it's it's a sense of release or escape or relaxation, you know, and, and Popo, like, she probably enjoyed watching her soap operas, you know? Oh, yeah. Exactly. It gave she, her lots of joy. Yeah. So as much as from the outside, like, you as her child and, like, me and Amelia watching you watch TV, you know, we might be like, oh, don't watch so much TV, you know? But it brings you a lot of joy. And, and I mean, heck, you've worked so hard all of your life like if you want to watch tv you can watch tv (laughs) what about you never mind i'm still your mom yeah i've it just like drives me crazy that that's what i feel like i've passed on to you like just as a (laughs) way of kind of dealing with our tensions and our day-to-day stresses that you know you go Mm -hmm. away and you start binging on things like playing sims for endless hours (laughs) but that's something about there's something about to be said about human nature well, and it's not just, like, it's the society we live in, too. Like, yeah. everyone's on screens now, 24-7, so. <laughs> That's what we should be raging about. Yeah. But you can't just blame it on all the things that are around us. I mean, That's true. It's important to kind of take responsibility for mm-hmm. what we've experienced and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> But I actually well, think this one one thing that I do want to say about this whole kind of subject of raging Asians 
um, about the society's perception of Asians, even if it wasn't sort of like a stereotype, I think what's interesting is that regionally, like in China, because of the dialect that people mm -hmm. speak, if you speak Mandarin, you seem, you're supposedly perceived as being more sophisticated, more right. well-educated, right. and more literate. But if you're a southerner and you speak Cantonese or you <laughs> yeah. speak Toisanese, just because of the intonation of the right. language, when you talk, everybody thinks you're yelling at each like other. Like it's harsher, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's important, I think, to accept that there are those kinds of linguistic qualities, but that yeah. also we need to just laugh at them and make fun of them ourselves mm -hmm. before and, and not take the way that other people kind of like categorize us seriously. Mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like it's it's normal his, like for anyone to f express like we talked about earlier like frustration and anger and how do they get expressed you know mm -hmm. yeah some people go out and like hit a baseball bat you know, mm -hmm. some people like work or out. Yeah. With his cane. Right. Yeah. Other people, you know, use creative expression, but, you know, rage can come, rage, you know, everything has two sides to it. Rage can come with some pure pleasure. Like when I was, <laughs> I was, I was thinking, just like I was just talking about language right now. Well, in Chinese, when you call, when you say something like, oh my God. You can say, oh my God, in English in 10 different ways, and it mm -hmm. could mean 10 different levels of intensity, mm -hmm. right? right? Oh my God. Right. Oh my God. Depending on your facial yeah. intonation. So same thing with ayah. Yeah. <laughs> you can say, ayah. Yeah, right. Oh my God. Ayah. Oh. Yeah. Which means right. like, oh, shorter. it hurts. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Or you can have a long, ayah. Like, yeah. Should we should we say it together? Okay. One, two, three. Aya. Aya. That's a short one. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our conversation on becoming your mother. This week's Raging Asian podcast featuring Mary Sue Wong. Stay tuned for next week's episode. And in the meantime, keep screaming Aya.